0: Alright, well I am in the press box at City Field, so there's a little bit of me, so there's a little bit of background noise. So I have to wrap up at because I have to go on uh, MLB network at four o'clock today. So I have to get my face put on to look like a fancy person.
1: Nice. I'll have to tune you in. Yeah,
0: it starts at four MLB now. So me, Mark DeRosa, Joel Sherman, and whoever the host is.
1: Hey, if tell Mark DeRosa that your podcast buddy, Scott threw out the first pitch at a Braves game, and he caught it, and I still have the ball.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool, actually. What year <laughs> yeah. What year was that?
1: Oh, gosh. It might have been back in, like, 98. I towed the rubber. I shook him off, and I threw a strike. And I had that's my glove awesome. out there. I, I wasn't going to do it half-heartedly. I oh. did it the, the full way, and it, w- it was awesome.
0: You know, I have to say, you uh, told me, hey, tell him. And I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to do what he says. But I'm probably going to do that now. I'm actually yeah. probably, probably going to say that
1: now. Yeah, it was awesome. Hey Georgia Football fans, you are listening to episode 23 of the Waitin' Since Last Saturday podcast. My name is Scott Duvall, and today I'm also joined by my other two co-hosts, Will Leach, who, at the time of this recording, was sitting in the City Field Press Box getting ready to cover Game 5 of the World Series, and Tony Waller, who was driving somewhere near Vidalia, Georgia. (laughs) That's quite a contrast. You know why we're here today? We're here to discuss the debacle that was Georgia Florida 2015. Look. The three of us are just as frustrated and confused about this team as you are. Tony and I discussed the head-scratching game plan that the Dogs incorporated, questioning everything from the offensive play calling to the ineptitude of Georgia's special teams, again. Being in New York City, Will was able to report on the unique experience he had of watching the first half of the game from the Georgia fan bar, American Whiskey, and poses an interesting question from a more national perspective. Is Georgia as good as the fans think it is. Stay tuned for that analysis and more, as we sometimes have to do things that are not very enjoyable, and that is to talk about this past Saturday's game. Here's Will to start us off.
0: right. so I feel like there are two different things that we need to talk about. I come to you live, by the way, from the City Field press box before Game 5 of the World Series. So if you hear people in the background coughing or talking or chattering, they are just sad sports writers uh, wishing they were talking about Georgia football right <laughs> Actually, that's unlikely. So, okay, there are two things, and I, I, I want to talk about the first thing first and the second thing later. So let's let's try to keep them separate. The first is I want to talk about the game itself. Then I want to talk about what this all means. The game itself will be shorter, so we do not cry but uh, let's I want to focus on the game itself yesterday, specifically the weirdness I thought and Tony I, we were texting during the game. You shouldn't agreed with me, no I agreed with you. the weirdness of bringing in a running quarterback, thinking you can somehow exploit something, and then seemingly running the exact same plays you would have run if Lambert or even Ramsey were the quarterback.
2: Well, I think the part about it that's hard for me to get my head around is that we ran no stretch plays. We no, ran no jet sweeps. We ran one wildcat and never even even gave the look again. And I, you know, I, I get you can't completely throw out the playbook. You have to keep the concepts the same. But we've shown we have zone reads. We've shown we have stretch plays. We have rub plays. We have pop passes, and we didn't utilize any of those. We never had. I don't think I saw one planned quarterback run. Um, and I get we have an identity and that's what George's identity is. But you have a quarterback who came in as the number three or four dual threat quarterback in the nation. Maybe maybe that made us a little high, but still he was a dual threat quarterback and is known I mean it's well known. his his ability to run the ball is well known. And to not even leverage that a little bit it 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 felt really weird to me that we didn't take any opportunity to play to his strengths, which are the, his ability to make things happen. I mean, I think we tried three rollout passes, no real bootlegs. It's just baffling, just baffling to me.
1: Yeah, I like the first play of the game on offense for Georgia. I was like, wow, this is this is going to be fun. You know, we might not win this game, or it might not go the way we want. But hey, I like what this looks like. You know, with Sony Michelle and the shot and the and the Wildcat, and then Fatone Balta lined up at uh, wide receiver. We got a great gain on that first play, and it's like that penalty just was such a punch in the gut, like, okay, here we go, and then we make another infraction on that first drive, and it's like then the playbook went out, went out the window, and I'm, I'm sitting there on like our third or fourth drive going like, where did the playbook go? The, the running style that Tony was just pointing to, and then it just goes back into like Grayson Lambert mode, and it's just a different number throwing the passes or attempting to.
0: Yeah, that was the baffling part to me too, is the idea you make this – kind of radical move to go to Malta but then you go conservative for the play calling which is uh, that doesn't really make any sense at all uh, and and again you know and I don't know we can certainly debate how much it has to do with with uh, Schottenheimer, or whether this is a general chaos situation may, that may leak into the, uh, into the second topic we'll talk about, but certainly that was definitely the strangest part to me. There was Scott, you're right. There was something initially kind of exciting. You're like, all right, we're going to see something different today, and, and you know that was the thing that we were kind of hoping for was was the notion that that uh, listen, it, they, they need to do something to shake it up. Maybe this Bowser thing is to shake it up. So to see that there was nothing actually shaken up was certainly weird. Um, but it's also worth noting that you wonder if this is maybe a little bit different, at least not, not maybe not the, the the results of the game, but this feels a little bit different had it not been for yet another horrible special teams play. After that special teams
2: play, yeah. The, the, yeah. Whole, the whole thing was different. The whole time I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking through what you and I and Scott talked about, and actually Scott and I talked a little bit about it on Friday on the special, that you know it doesn't really matter what we do. If we have the special team mess up, and as Davis was waving his hand at the four yard line, I was going, no, Reggie, no, oh. Reggie. And I thought, okay, he's going to run forward here in a minute and try to fake, it, fake him out. Nope, nope, let's, uh, let's fill the ball. I mean, that's, that's two special team mistakes in one, basically 1.3 seconds. Uh, one, fair catching the ball inside your own five and also fumbling the ball. And, I mean, I think your point's well taken. The, I don't know that the outcome is different. And that's the sad part about it. If he fair catches the ball there, we weren't showing anything on defense. Florida, Florida basically, we played right into what they practiced for, which is just, it's just so hard to get my head around.
1: And, and the way our offense is looking, I mean, we probably would have lost that game 7-3 to three or oh, something yeah. like that. I mean, it's just its just uh, indescribable with the amount of drop passes, the amount of poor passes. What did he have, five picks? Or No, we had five turnovers yeah, total. Yeah. And, and I think there is something to that team mentality of when it starts going south, you guys start pressing, you know, especially um, J. Rome. I mean, he had a couple bad drops, and he's a great tight end, and he's proved to be in the past. But well, maybe not great—that's kind of a strong word. <laughs> but he's proven to be uh, serviceable at least, and you don't you don't drop those passes right there. And perhaps Balter could have done a little bit better job of delivering it. I think it's just a team sliding, and really, I think the only guys out there that seemed to have that moxie was Malcolm Mitchell and on offense and Jake Gaines on defense.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the defense gave up a lot of yards, but it's also worth noting that they were on the field for so long that by the end of the game, they were clearly just beat. you know, and it was hard to blame them really. Uh, so, you know, and to me, well, you know, someone that's been ripping on Lambert all year. I will say, Bowta appears to be worse. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Like, like that, there's some of those throws just had no, like just nothing on him. To me, that maybe maybe this leads us into our second issue a little bit. That
2: well, you know, before you go to that, I think yeah. I think any mentor of our offense needs to. We have to talk about our offensive line and the regression of our offensive line. Now, I'm not going to take anything away from Florida's defensive front; they're very good, but there were. Just entirely too many times where an end was going unblocked or we had somebody jamming in and, and disrupting the play at the, the handoff point. It's just, I I, I don't know. I, it's it's hard to say why our offensive line looks so much worse, but it, we've progressed over the course of the season, and maybe significantly, and that's, that also factors in a little bit because, you know, I, I'm to out of the, the one, thing, one piece of credit I gave him is he's much more willing to take a hit than Lambert is or it felt that way to me yesterday. But he, he had a lot more opportunities because mm-hmm. the offensive line sure it and helped him out a lot.
0: When you look at all three facets of the game, special teams being, you know, most egregious for the offense not doing anything and the defense playing in the Florida hand Florida's hands, that is to me the major concern. And I think that is why you're seeing so many people freaking out a little bit? You know, it's funny. We were texting uh, halfway through the game, the three of us, and Scott, you were you were more uh, uh, yeah. upset. You were more reactionary to right. what was going on, and I, and you know, I think Tony and I kind of like, okay, settle down, Scott, easy. And then we, and then I was on Twitter last night and this and this morning, and more people are on Scott's side than on the on the non reactionary side. And I understand the one thing I do understand about. It, I want to get into a fan mindset in a second but one thing i do understand is particularly alarming about yesterday's game it's not that the georgia played bad that they did it's that there appeared to be not only no creative thinking on the part of the coaching staff but it seemed like nothing proactive at all they did exactly what you would expect them to they threw no wrinkles in it's funny if a team played the way that the team coached, those guys coached yesterday, we called them listless. We called them kind of uh, their heads weren't in the game that day for such a big game. And that was what was most baffling to me for such a big game and such a big move for them to just kind of come out and play standard as usual. To me, that's one of the main things that has people so concerned right now is this wait is the coaching staff even have its heart in it at this point now obviously they do and they're working hard out there but it was certainly weird to see it felt like they were coaching a game from 10 years ago and i think that's what has people most alarmed
1: i think it's the lack of competitiveness in big games that just kind of compounds year after year after year i mean you could somebody could do the research and really break it down on on it but at least on the surface it seems to me and that's why i was going so nuts on our text messaging. Um, and, you know, thankfully, I am able to censor myself enough not to, you know, say crazy things like that on this podcast or even on social media, <laughs> unlike a lot of people.
2: Just so people know what you're talking about, Scott was saying that he thought that uh, Schottenheimer
1: should be named head coach today.
0: Yes, that's, that's exact quote.
1: <laughs> it is getting really salty, to use Tony's favorite word. It, it is getting salty out there on social media. There's a lot of columnists now that are saying things about Coach Rick. Or calling for you know resignations or firings that I've never seen really written uh, to that uh, extreme before. Now I and I'm, I'm not in the position to call for anybody's firing, nor would I on this uh, podcast. But I think it's the lack of competitiveness on big games. And then as you're looking at all these other games, Miami made a play last night. Controversial, yes, but they made a play. Michigan made a play at the end of the game. Tipple who's never been there before, made a play to put themselves in a position to win. And then Notre Dame, guess what, with the sophomore quarterback of Kaiser and then Will Fuller and then Kavari Russell, they all make plays at the end of the game to win the game. And there's just no body on our team, offense, defense, or special teams, making plays. That even goes the same for the coaching staff. Nobody's making plays. That's what's frustrating.
0: Okay, Tony, I want to ask you something in, in response to that, Before, uh, just to, to kind of frame this a little bit. Listen, we've been talking to this podcast all year, and I frankly believe you, and I still kind of do believe you, but I do think it needs to be addressed now. This idea of Rick is serious now. He's pulling it together. He knows his objective, and there's an energy and a pep in his step. I will say I did not see a pep in the step of that coaching staff yesterday.
2: No, and I was about to say I I don't think I can argue with anything you said leading up to this question, Will. The thing that's baffling to me, and I, I get, you know, Rick, Rick placed a lot of responsibility on his coordinators in particular. I think it's only reasonable that we question his confidence in Brian Schottenheimer. I don't think we would have changed quarterbacks. if Rick had to stepped in, to be perfectly honest. And I, by no means, I think it's Tonda, Wes, oh, for those who get rid of Mark Rick, in my mind, he has earned enough to be given an opportunity to figure this thing out because he has, especially in the offseason, shown that he's willing to make the changes. But if he... Decides that we're going to keep Brian Schottenheimer. And if he decides we're going to keep Rob Sale, and if he decides that we're going to continue to run this offense, it is an all in move. And at some point, there has to be a willingness on somebody somewhere to say, okay, we trust you to know what you're doing, but you need to understand that the outcome of this is either improvement or we can't continue to have a fan base that's fractured. And I'm not, a, I'm, I don't like the whole fan base is fractured argument because I think. Fan bases generally are terrible polling places, but yeah, you know, there, there will come a point where the donors will make it too hard for the higher ups at Bud's Mayor to ignore the discussion. I, I don't think we're there. Um, and social media, again, is, is not the best place to get a good sample because there's so many more people that aren't on social media. But it's ugly out there right now. I went to my parents' church this morning, and I wore a Georgia shirt because I always wear a Georgia shirt after Georgia, Florida. And more than one occasion, I people ask "Oh, you're not too embarrassed to wear that shirt?" And I'm like, "No, I'm never too embarrassed to wear this shirt." But you know, that tells me right there that there are people who are everyday Georgia fans who aren't feeling the love, and that becomes a real problem. That's and that's basically where Jim Donnan was in '99. So yeah. that's that's a long way of answering. I agree with you, and. I don't think it was hard to see it yesterday anywhere in any phase of the game.
0: Well, that, that, that's because what I want to ask is, Scott, you kind of noted at this point was yesterday a tipping point? Was there like you're right? You Dennis Dodd, the national columnist for CBS, wrote a maybe it's time for them to find a nice way to get away from each other and uh, for 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 Rick and George to separate. Now again. It's Don. He's a national columnist. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not legislating Dennis Don here. But I'm wondering. You're seeing these things creep up now. You're seeing. Uh, you're starting to have a people that have defended Rick for a long time and even have moved in the direction of. We see a difference. We see an uptick in recruiting. We dodged the bullet from a couple of years ago, and we're back in the right direction. You're seeing those people question now, and. I don't know if we have time, and I think we should do this at a later, longer podcast anyway, to do the discussion of fan base expectations versus reality. I don't know if this is necessarily in a post-game uh, conversation to do that, but I do think it is worth noting that... I've been here for three years. I have not seen them as upset as they are right now. Uh, I just haven't. I've noticed how upset Georgia fans get after losses, how when they realize they're not going to win the national championship, it's going to be another year. They get very upset. Scott, you've you've represented that in a lot of ways. I've not seen them, and I'm going to ask you both this, when you talked about it being Donna in 99, when's the last time you guys saw it as bad as you saw it uh, maybe last night and in the response today?
1: I mean – Richt is five and ten versus Florida. And the way I look at it is that's one of the pivotal rivalries along with Georgia Tech, Auburn, you know, and then you go down the list of Tennessee and South Carolina. But Florida is kind of the, the ledger, if you will. And you know there's been two great head coaches at Florida in that time, Spurrier and then Urban Meyer. And then there's also been two, two coaches that were not good at all with Zook and Muschamp. And now we've got a new coach to face, which is McElwain, and he's already got the leg up on us. So I think that there have been openings for Georgia during those 15 years to take this rivalry back and to at least a 500, and it just hasn't happened. And the worst part about it, when we do lose, it's not even competitive, and that's the part that gets me hung up. Is just the sheer fact. I mean, it's not competitive. I'd rather be losing games like how Texas tech is losing to Oklahoma state scoring in the fifties or something. At least you feel like you got a shot with your offense, but it's just not happening. And, and the final point I'll make is that we've got a game, an SEC game against Kentucky next week. It's a noon kickoff. It's going to be really sleepy. There's a lot of down Georgia fans. The best thing we can do, and some might would argue with with me on this, the best thing we can do is to put our hats on, put our red shirts on, and go and support those guys. Because not only are we showing our support for the team as a whole, but there's a lot of recruits looking to see if we're going to tuck tail and just you know start bashing our our team, which I do not think is profitable for the fan base or the current team as it stands right now. So show up next week against Kentucky. Let's get a victory.
2: Yeah, well, I think to, to answer, to answer your question, I think the last time I saw it like this was in 99 McDonald. And, you know, I, I some people say, well, I was like this in 2010 with Rick and it might, it maybe it was, and I was just a little ignorant of it, but this feels, this feels deeper and worse than, than 2010. I'm not going to try to make a whole lot of excuses. We still have to remember we played a ton of freshmen on offense, our defense. We knew our quarterback situation was Dicey, and a lot of us, uh, me included, um, had a lot more faith in both the quarterback and offensive coordinator that was this, uh, now very much appearing full fools gold. So I don't think Bud's mayor is going to be nearly as reactionary as as the social media community is. But you're right, the fan base is, uh, is in a bad place.
0: Well, I – of course, you were there, Tony. I am in New York, as I said, coming the World Series. I was actually at American Whiskey, the Georgia fan bar uh, in New York City. Uh, I was a a, a guest of UGA Carey, who I had a lovely time with, watching the game, uh, um, the first half of that game. The thing that I was struck by – because apparently the the American Whiskey – uh, is, has been like a, a salvation because you know, my wife, when she when we lived in New York, she went to the old bar and it was terrible. and It was really a horrible place and people didn't like it. It was really a great environment. They actually play the trumpet before the game. They they take over all the television screens and play the Saturday in Athens that's on, on the video board and, nice. they, and they play the Go Dogs. Thing. It's a really really great environment. So to me, you know, I, I had to leave at halftime to get to City Field to cover the game, but I will say. I spend a lot of time wondering: Is Georgia as good as its fans think it is? Do Georgia fans believe they deserve more than they actually do? And certainly, that was my mindset coming in. You know, why do Georgia fans get so upset when they win eight or nine games? I'm a line I fan. Eight or nine games is the best thing we do in 30 years. Why? You know, why Georgia fans are uh, so, they demand too much? I will say, the more and more I learn, the more comfortable I get, uh, and see how big. Georgia football is across the country. I start to understand why they feel like they deserve it more. It was a terrific environment yesterday that was devastated <laughs> by the time I left, and it, it got worse after I left. So, you know, for me, that I, I think there's some hard questions that happen, and you can see, you can see what we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens the rest of the year. Imagine if they lose a home to Kentucky this week. Imagine if they lose to Georgia Southern. You know, imagine if they lose the tech. These things are on the table, guys. Like if that Hell happens, yeah, yeah. You you yeah. See, you see if something like that happens. To me, that's when you might really start to see things spiral out of control. But I'll, I'll put it this way: right now, I, I agree with you, Tony. I don't feel like this is uh, an immediate thing. That, uh, that they're going to freak out about in the administration. But the fuse has been lit <laughs> is probably the best way to put it. And if things go poorly the rest of the way, if you lose one of these games, if you lose to Kentucky, I mean, honestly, you think Georgia, Georgia Southern, we've, we've joked about this before, but Georgia Southern feels like this is the year that they're getting Georgia. Uh, you can see how the way things are going, one or two more losses, this could get real ugly real fast.
2: Yeah, well, and to, I, I know you had a second question, but one of the things that I think is very clear uh, that will have to happen if we make a change is Mark Rick has to be a part of the decision. Um, I'm sorry fans don't want to hear that, but there's two reasons for that. First off, the way Georgia does business is that we're not just going to summarily fire a 15-year, nine-plus-win season coach. Uh, that's not what we do. And uh, absent something really bad happening. The second thing is is that, there is no way we can get the kind of coach that we want to come in here. If we fire a 15-year head coach, that's just not happening. People aren't being reasonable about that. Um, you know, we we can have a whole podcast about pay and all the other things about how good a job this is, but you're not going to get either a hot young coach or a proven coach at a mid-major, or for that matter, you know, it's not been one from the Big 12 or whatever. Uh, we're not going to do that if we if we summarily fire Mark Rick after the game of the season uh, at 5-3. That is not happening. Anybody that thinks that is happening has no concept whatsoever about how the human resources work. Now, having said all of that, if the time comes for a change, Mark Rick is smart enough to know it, and it's not like he, he's, not, he's not Steve Spurrier. He's not George O'Leary. He's got way more in his life than Georgia football, and I realize there are people that, that get really fired up over that. The fact of the matter is, this stops being fun for him. He'll leave. Because he has a backup plan, a higher purpose backup plan, than, than, than George football. So, you know, I, I I don't worry about whether that change happens now, or when I say now this season, or next, or 15 years from now. But it's not going to happen until Mark Rick goes to Greg McGarrity and says, it's time to make a change.
1: I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> that's, that's...
2: Uh, I, well,
0: well, the second thing I was going to bring up uh, is really what we've kind of discussed. It was this idea. And I think it's actually, frankly, now that I'm thinking about it, too big of a discussion to have in a post-game podcast. And that is the fundamental question. And listen, maybe this is what we do for the longer podcast this week in, in a preview and the discussion of the Kentucky game. Maybe that's when we have this discussion. But to me, the question of what the fan base is, what it deserves, what it demands, and what Mark Richt has done – you know, I feel like those are larger questions, uh, two bigger questions to answer than via a Twitter tirade is probably the best way to put it. I feel like it is larger than what social media is capable to provide. Maybe we'll maybe we'll figure it out in the podcast next week. How about that? <laughs> so, yeah. for what yeah. it, for what it's worth, uh, uh, tonight is Game Five of the World Series. If the Royals win, I will be back in Athens tomorrow. And if the uh, but if the Mets win, I will be off to Kansas City. We'll have to do it remotely again. So if you don't like the occasional rustling and sound in the background that you hear that you hear on this podcast, uh, root for the Royals tonight. <laughs> so we'll be back. I don't know, uh, I'll be back in the same room on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, go Royals.
0: <laughs> go Royals. That's the best. That's the best we can muster this week. That's the best we can muster this week. Is go Royals. Listen, we joked about this on Twitter, and we'll wrap up with this. I'm going to be out there Saturday. You guys are going to be out there Saturday. You know, they, there are still four games left to go in this season, and I'm eager to watch them even if they are really ugly. So, you know, go dogs!
2: Yeah, and I, just a bridge on what Scott said, it's time for us to put our big boy or big girl hats on and to get behind the Georgia team and support them, whether we like it or not. They need the support. The kids deserve it. Let's show up and do it. Amen.
0: Bouta for punter. Bouta for punter. No, Ravens did a great job. Oh, no. Well, let's bouta for punter. Come on. Why not? (laughs) Let's
2: let's shake it up. Let's shake it up. Since Marshall Morgan wears number
0: 13, you think he can play quarterback? (laughs) Why not? Why not? Uh, He can vote. All right. (laughs) All right. Be safe, guys. uh, uh, If the Royals win, I'll see you guys on Tuesday.
1: And that does it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Should you have any comments or questions, feel free to tweet our show at W S L S Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to one of us individually, Tony is at Tyler Dogden, that's D-A-W-G-D-E-N. Will can be found at William F. Leach, and that's Leach with an L-E-I-T-C-H. And I'm at Jawavi Films, that's J-A-W-A-V-I Films. Producing this podcast is not easy, especially on days like today. One of the best ways you can help us out is to leave a rating, a review, and to subscribe on iTunes. We received one very special review last week from Jay Wellington, where he said, quote, This is the best college football podcast currently going. The hosts are funny and insightful and have a great chemistry with one another. A must-listen for an SEC fan. Thanks, Jay. We really appreciate your comment. And thanks to all others who have left us comments on iTunes as well. Tune us in on Thursday as we try to pick up the pieces and move on. As mentioned in this episode, the best thing we as fans can do right now is to show up, get loud, and let's help support our dogs to help get them a much-needed victory against a dangerous Kentucky Wildcat team this Saturday in Sanford. So have a great week, and we'll see you on campus.